You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. So we're going to be in John chapter 14 this morning. And uh, again, learning from Jesus himself, from his own teaching during his earthly ministry. Um, learning from him as he taught his disciples. Uh, it's, it's hard to uh, kind of pull out some things that we think we want to, welcome back, man. Uh, good to, uh, it's, it's hard to pull some things out that we think are really important that Jesus said because obviously God the Son in the world teaching human beings uh, the gospel, this revelation of salvation from God, grace from God, all of it is uh, preeminently important. So please don't see us kind of bouncing around, finding some good stuff Jesus said. Uh, we're, just, we're just taking some of it uh, and, and seeking to learn from him. But that's what we've been doing now for several weeks. We're calling it uh, the series Word of Life because Jesus' words are life uh, and he is life. And, uh, and we just want to learn from him, sit at his feet. And that's what we're seeking to do again this morning, just learn uh, from Christ himself uh, as his spirit works in us. So uh, this morning, I know this is maybe a little bit unusual. Uh, I'm just gonna read one verse and then we're gonna stop and pray for some help. Uh, we'll come back and get the wider context of that verse together. But uh, if you would look at John chapter 14 and the very first verse, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. I'll read it out loud, and then let's, uh, let's pray. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Let's pray. God, we come to you this morning as Matt said to you, and we all said to you together, that we realize our need for you, our need for you to minister to us. And for sure, Lord, uh, in keeping with your word, what your word says, how it inspires us, we wanna minister to one another. I hope to have a ministry this morning that is good for our church, good for your name, that would please you, but more than anything we could do for one another, Lord, what we know this morning is that we need you to minister to us. Work through us, please, Lord, even now, this ministry of the word, will you please have this be your ministry through one of your servants to your people? Would you please cause your word this morning to be as, as you've called it, living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. Would you please cause your word uh, to have an effect on us that is eternal, that transforms us, convicts us of our sin, convicts us of truth, convicts us of righteousness, brings us into agreement with you, so that we would live in belief, live out of truth, out of a desire to glorify you. Lord, th these are the, the things that we're asking for this morning, not just that we would take some little step forward, although that would be a grace from you, we'd, we'd be grateful for it, but Lord, we're asking for transformation in our lives, that we would be this morning conformed to the image of Jesus, that we would live more like him, be more like him than we were when we arrived here this morning. And Lord, we ask for these things realizing that it, it has to be a work of your Holy Spirit. It has to be grounded in the truth of your word. And it's gonna arise from belief and trust in you. So please do these things, Lord, please. Don't leave us to our own devices, even in our pride and our sinfulness and our hypocrisy, Lord. 
all of the baggage that we've brought in here this morning as imperfect, needy people who have rebelled against you. Lord, even in the state that we're in now, would you please, as you've promised, treat us as sons and daughters in Christ, covered by his blood, made clean, made righteous, made acceptable to you. Would you please pour out your spirit on us freely. Do a mighty work in us with our time here together, we ask in and for the name of Jesus, our Lord, amen. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Uh, that's a very direct statement. In fact, it's, um, it's a command. It's a command from Jesus to his disciples. Uh, I, I know that a lot of things that the scriptures translate from the Greek into uh, you know, our language, our English, and as we continue, as translations continue to build and, and find a way of translating exactly what was said, but in a way that we can really understand it, I know that we may not have said to one another in our own language, you know, if, if one of us was upset, the other would say to you, let not your heart be troubled. I know we may not speak in that way to one another, but you understand what Jesus is telling his disciples. Obviously, they were troubled. In their hearts, they were upset. They were worried. They were anxious. They were troubled. And he's telling them, don't be. Don't be. Those things that you're feeling, those, those, that, that, uh, that feeling of a worry and doubt and distrust, like I'm saying things that you just can't get with, that you just can't agree with, you can't accept or submit to or understand. I know you feel this way, but I'm telling you, don't. I, I think that much of the way we talk now to one another um, would tell us that as these troubled disciples are coming to Jesus with questions, with worry, doubts, fears, that Jesus is almost being a little insensitive here. Don't be troubled. Well, I can't help it, Jesus. Can't you hear that? I can't help it. It's the way I feel. This is my life right now. This is my situation. But have some compassion. Bear with me. He just cuts right to the issue. You're troubled in your hearts. Don't be. But when he says don't be, he doesn't just kind of leave them hanging like they just had to figure out how to not be troubled. He tells them right here in this verse. What is the antidote to a troubled heart? Believe in God. Believe also in me. Another way you could translate that, although I think this is the best way to read it, another way you could say it is that Jesus told them, you believe in God, believe also in me. He's telling them the antidote to your troubled hearts is belief in God the Father and in the Son whom he sent to you. Believe in us. Now, uh, I, I know, because I know most of you pretty well, and most of all because I know myself, I know that for Jesus to come and personally tell each one of us, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. I know that if Jesus were to come and minister to each one of us in that way, it would not be some out of left field like, I was fine, Jesus. I mean, I don't know if you thought I was troubled about anything, worried, upset, anxious, fearful. I don't, maybe I had a look on my face or something, but honestly, Jesus, I'm fine. I, let's go find someone who is troubled and you can tell them. All of us would just be so deeply grateful to Jesus for arriving in our lives and speaking this way to us, wouldn't we? Because we all have things in our lives that trouble us, our hearts. Please understand here, and we're going we're to get to the, the real context, the historical context of why Jesus said that, but please understand that what Jesus is dealing with here is not just someone who's being emotional. 
Not just someone who's just kind of upset in the moment uh, or, or isn't listening or something. Jesus is dealing with someone who at the level of his heart is troubled. If you're not in that spot now, I imagine that if you know, you've lived more than a year on the planet, you've experienced what it's like to be troubled in your heart, disturbed in your heart. Worry to the point of fear, to the point of anxiety, where the, the future s- suddenly becomes uncertain. Things that you had counted on before suddenly seem untrustworthy, unreliable, troubled in the heart. So Jesus had told his disciples, uh, if you were to go back to chapter 13 and look at verse 33, he says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now also I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Where I am going, you cannot come. This was new language for the disciples because he had always been saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. Where I'm going, you must go with me, right? If you love me, if you trust me, come with me. Sell everything you have even. Come follow me. This is what they were used to hearing Jesus say, and now he's saying, look, I'm going to a place and you won't be able to come with me. This was disturbing to them. We know now that in in hindsight, with historical context behind us, we know that this was the day when Jesus was going to be betrayed later into the hands of the Jewish leaders and eventually crucified the next morning. Jesus is trying to prepare them. I am going to go away. I'm going somewhere where you won't be able to follow me. Of course, he's speaking of going to heaven. Uh, but he doesn't, he doesn't clue them in on all those details. He allows them to remain a little unsettled here and he just tells them, I'm going away. You can't come with me. Now look at verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Now this is, uh, I know Peter gets a bad rap a lot of times as being a very hasty, almost irrational, uh, very impulsive kind of person. I almost think he gets too harsh of a treatment. But notice here, Jesus made this statement in 33, hey, my my children, my disciples, uh, in a little while, uh, you're, you're going to seek me, but you're not going to find me because I'm going somewhere where you can't go. And then verse 34, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Peter goes, hang on, that's fine and all, but what did you say? We can't go with you. What do you mean we can't? He just skipped all over this huge new command of love one another. This is how the whole world will know you're my disciples. Okay, but what did you say about not going with you? Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Natural question. Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, he's just so unsatisfied with this answer. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay my life down for you. Peter is troubled by this statement that Jesus is making about not being with him because he always wants to stay with Jesus. That's not bad, right? That's not bad. Please don't be hard on Peter here. This This God-man, this Messiah prophesied of in the Old Testament who had been waited on for all these centuries, generation after generation, proclaiming his coming, and now here he is, and Peter is his disciple, and he just wants to be with him. Not wrong. Not wrong to be troubled by Jesus' statement, I'm going somewhere where you can't go. Why can't we go? Well, you won't go now, but later on you will. Why can't I go now? I will lay my life down for you. He wants to stay with Jesus. 
He's here kind of as Peter often does, standing in for representing all of the disciples. They're all troubled in your hearts. We know that because Jesus speaks to all of them. Let not your hearts be troubled. Peter here is representing all of their troubled hearts. He asked Jesus this question, where are you going? Why can't we go with you? Jesus responds, but of course, Peter isn't satisfied because he's so troubled. He's disturbed by this notion that Jesus is not going to take him wherever he's going. He wants to be with him at all times. He's devoted his entire life to Jesus here. He knows now that Jesus is the Messiah, that salvation is found only in him. His eagerness to be with Jesus is right, it's proper, it's appropriate, it's fitting because Jesus is worthy of our most eager devotion. But he doesn't yet understand what Jesus is speaking about, this time of separation that Jesus is describing. Is Jesus just going home to Nazareth? Is he going to preach in another town? After three years of walking with him in discipleship and serving and experiencing so many powerful things alongside Jesus, even suffering scorn and shame and ostracization for the sake of Christ, why shouldn't we be allowed to follow him anywhere he goes? Peter begins to feel here that Jesus is questioning his devotion. This is his insecurity kicking in. As if there's some place Jesus is going that requires a level of faith and obedience that Peter is just unwilling to commit to. That's what Peter's hearing. You don't love me enough. You don't trust me enough. So Peter says to him, Lord, why can't we follow you now? I'll lay my life down for you. I'll die for you. Now, please understand where Peter's question is coming from, the heart behind it, this troubled heart. He's concerned not only with the prospect of being left by Jesus, but also that Jesus is withholding some information from him. He's disturbed by that. He knows Jesus isn't telling him everything, and that's bothering him. That's why he's grilling him with these questions. Where are you going? Why can't we go with you? Why can't we go now? Don't you know I'd lay my life down for you? It's like, you don't trust me? He's smart enough to understand Jesus is intentionally not telling him everything and this is really disturbing his soul, even scaring him. Jesus leaving him in the dark, it's scaring him. Causing him insecurity, feeling like he has to defend his devotion to Jesus, you ever been in that spot? Something's going on in your life and you can tell, like you're asking for answers, God is not giving you the answers you want. And you almost start feeling you have to defend yourself to God, why won't you tell me? I trust you. You ever find yourself praying, trying to defend yourself to God? I trust you, I really do love you. This is where Peter is right here. And what's being revealed in Peter's heart here as Jesus makes decisions that Peter wouldn't make and leaves Peter in the dark on the details, what's being exposed in him? Lack of belief, lack of belief. I know that may not be the the intuitive answer to try to get to what is really at the bottom of this, but Jesus tells us what's at the bottom of this. Why is he troubled? Why is he disturbed? Why is he here grilling Jesus, interrogating him about where he's going and why they can't come? Why is he loading his questions with all of his own insecurity and exposing his doubts? It's lack of belief. After Peter declares his willingness to die for Jesus, Jesus asks a question of his own and really lovingly humbles Peter. He says, will you lay your life down for me? I will lay my life down for you. Will you? He didn't ask it sarcastically. It wasn't sharp. You can't read that into it the way we might say that. He's asking him in a, in a loving way, in the way a savior asks. Will you lay your life down for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. Obviously breaking Peter's heart. 
defying his expectation. He wasn't expecting Jesus to break this kind of news, say this kind of thing. Peter had been guilty of accusing Jesus of being wrong before, right? It didn't go well for him. Get behind me, Satan, was the reply. Like, I don't want, if, G, if you ever find yourself praying and Jesus calls you Satan, just like different train of thought, let's try something else, you know? Let's go down a different path to get to him because clearly that's not working. That's not in agreement with where Jesus's mind is. So he had been guilty before of saying Jesus was wrong. Here he doesn't argue with him. It's, it's from here kind of oddly silent from Peter. He's been troubled, worried, doubtful. We know now at the basis of it, what's really going on is he's not believing in Jesus. And Jesus sets him straight here in a really gentle but an alarming way. We know that the answer that night to Jesus' question was no. He will not lay his life down for Jesus. That was the answer. But history tells us that ultimately the answer became yes, he will. He would lay his life down for Jesus. Just not that day. Not that day. Hang on to that. Please hang on to that. In this interaction between Peter the disciples and Jesus, the fear, the trouble in their hearts, the doubt, the questioning, the correction here. Please hang on to the fact that the answer that day was no, Peter would not. His faith, his belief, his trust in Christ, his security in Christ, that day was not at the point of laying his life down, but it would become that kind of faith. It would become that kind of security because we're all growing, we're all heading somewhere, we're all being carried along by the Spirit and inspired and changed, transformed to the point that we will grow to the point of laying our lives down. I really believe that. There will be a finished work, a completed work in all of us that today is not complete. But today is not it. Today's just today. Just let it be today. And trust Christ to be with you as you continue to journey forward with him. Jesus knew where Peter was in his heart that night. He knew his sincere belief in him, but he also knew that his belief was incomplete. It wasn't yet what it would become. So let me ask you, are you scared? Are you doubting? Are you frustrated with Jesus because there are things happening in your life that you think he refuses to involve himself in or to just simply resolve? What are those things? Those things that are troubling you in your heart. I'm not trying to put you in the text here like you are Peter or you are one of these disciples. Certainly we're not very much like Jesus in this scene. But what I am telling you is, we are very much like them. We're very much like them, and what Jesus sees in them, he sees in all of us. And his answers to them are his answers to us. So how are we like them in their fear, in their insecurity, their troubled hearts? Have you felt a bit like he is leaving you in the dark on some details? I know we all pray this way a lot. Talk to Jesus this way. We're, we're all seeking answers, and rightly, but sometimes we're seeking answers believing that he's supposed to be telling us something that he won't. Like Peter here. Like he's just journeying on with his mission and leaving us in the dust. We can feel a bit that way. Peter needed to learn in his questioning, his insecurity, that Jesus is not the problem. That's, that's what this is getting down to. Everything that was troubling Peter and the rest of the disciples, Jesus just said, look, 
I'm not the problem. <laughs> In the way only God can say, right? If we say that to one another, you know, somebody comes to me and they're really upset, maybe even something that's about me, I can't just be like, look, dude, I'm not the problem. That's, that's uncaring. But when God says that, it's just true. It's just true. Jesus is not the problem. And all of the things that are troubling our hearts, Jesus is not the problem. Can we just agree on that? Just agree together that it's not some, some shortcoming in his character or, or in his, uh, his power or his ability or his love for us. There's no falling short in Jesus. The falling short is in us. Where we're struggling, where we're troubled, we have to look to exactly what Jesus is pointing to. Belief. Belief. Peter learned it the hard way through this heartbreaking night of failing faith. But as Peter was in this refining process, Jesus had this word for him and the rest of his disconcerted disciples. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe. So for me here, this, um, this is an ironic thing. And let me explain why. It's an ironic thing that Peter would want so badly to be with Jesus because he believes in him, yet to question Jesus so vehemently because he doesn't believe in him. Ironic, right? The thing that, the thing that made him so passionate about being with Jesus is the exact thing that he was failing in that caused him to not trust Jesus. He believes in him. The Bible is filled with all these things that on the surface feel so contradictory because they're not just very practical, physical things. They're about the heart. They're about the spirit. It, it's, there's, God is operating in this world where everything, doesn't, everything just isn't always what it appears to be. Like Peter believes in Jesus and yet he doesn't. In a way, he absolutely believes in him and in another way, he totally does not. In a way, he's so willing to follow Christ that he would leave his whole life, leave family, leave friends, leave position, leave income. And in another way, he's not willing to even admit to a little girl around a campfire that he knows Jesus at all. Uh, and again, I want to invite you to join me in that place where we can really identify with what's happening here in Peter and the other disciples. To absolutely believe in Jesus, amen? I mean, we've been singing songs to him this morning wholeheartedly, sincerely, we believe in you, we trust you, your Lord, all praise and honor be to you, but then we can walk right out of this place and live like none of it's true. Even though it's true. I, but I know that if I, if I walk out on the street right now, like just an idiot, I, just, I hope this scenario never plays out, but if I walk right out there and just walk right into traffic and smash, I'm dead, I know that my eyes will open and see Jesus. I know it because I believe in him. And yet I absolutely know I will have thoughts, desires, even commit actions today. I hope not. But most likely today, that absolutely disagree with my belief in Jesus. That if you only took my life in one little moment at a time, there would be moments where you go, oh, that's a Christian. There'd be moments where you go, man, somebody share the gospel with this guy. But uh, praise God, our life is not just a little moment and we get defined by those moments of disbelief. Instead, in those moments of disbelief, Jesus meets with us and he says, don't be troubled. Don't be troubled. Believe in me. He reminds us, points us back, redirects us. Believe in him is always the answer. So for me, it's not just ironic. It's also disturbingly familiar. Familiar. Is it familiar at all to you? Hearing this person who believes in Jesus having to be told to believe in Jesus. I know what it's like to believe in Jesus to the point of 
sacrifice, to the point of rearranging my life, to the point of pain, and to struggle to believe in him to the point of sacrifice, to the point of rearranging my life, to the point of pain. I know what it's like to believe in Jesus to the point of when I believe, I sacrifice comfort, I rearrange my life to agree with the teaching of Jesus to the point of experiencing pain, denying my flesh. I know what that's like. When I disbelieve, I sacrifice the joy of walking by faith for the temporary relief of reducing risk. I rearrange my life around my own limited perspective to the point of experiencing the pain of regret that I didn't just trust Christ with my life. I know what it's like on both ends of the spectrum because I'm like Peter. You know what that's like because you're like Peter in this moment, believing, yet struggling to believe. Absolutely knowing that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, reigning on high, loving you, interceding for you, and yet just wanting to hang on to your life and control of it because Jesus seems so far away and he's so invisible. I know, you know, we're, we're here with him. So for the rest of our time here this morning, let's all just admit to ourselves, to each other, to Jesus, we struggle to believe. We struggle to believe. We believe, but we struggle to believe. And those things don't contradict each other. They can happen simultaneously. A person who's in Christ, secure, sealed by the Holy Spirit, will definitely be with Jesus when they die, and yet right now lives like they don't even know who he is. Like they've never even heard his name mentioned. These things can be simultaneous. So let's just admit to ourselves, to each other, to Jesus, we struggle like Peter here and the disciples are struggling, feeling in the dark, just wanting to be with him, but not really trusting him. As we come to grips with this reality that we are imperfect, that we are not in control, that Jesus is working in our lives in ways we don't understand, that he doesn't owe us any explanation before we can have peace, what would Jesus say to us if he were here with us right now? Well, in truth, he is here with us right now. And he is speaking to us through his word, through his Holy Spirit, through this ministry of one to another. And he is saying to all of us, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Let me point out another irony to you in the kingdom of God. The to advance in maturity means to never leave the most basic elements of what made you a Christian. To be the most mature, solid, stable, unwavering, steady person who's in Christ and knows it. You are the person who doesn't forget the most elementary truths of your faith. We know these people. We know these people who are just so steady in Christ. They just seem unfazed by anything that the world or Satan could ever launch against them. They just seem unfazed. And what is their answer when you ask them, how is it that you're just so stable in Christ? What are they always going to say to you? I just know he died for me and he rose from the dead and he's reigning on high in majesty and power and he loves me. That's just the gospel. That's the thing you tell to the person who's never heard of him before. And that is the very truth that causes someone to just be so steady and stable in Christ. They just believe. They believe in him. There's all kinds of things we can learn and grow in. The knowledge of God is is a thing to be desired. But there's no knowledge greater than the gospel. There's nothing you need to add to the gospel. The truth that Jesus just is who he says he is. And he is who he says he is for you. There's no greater truth. 
There's nothing that would cause us to to just have the trouble in our hearts subside, to be confident, to be stable, to be at peace. Jesus is who he is. He just says, believe in me. Believe in me. The primary cause of all of our fears, doubts, insecurities is unbelief. It is unbelief. We struggle to believe that Jesus really is who he says he is and he is who he says he is for us. We just struggle moment by moment to believe that. And when we're struggling to believe that, when we, when we seek to find a different truth to comfort us, God in his mercy to us will not allow us to be comforted. He won't allow us to just, to just sit there chewing on some, some disgusting, rank piece of rotten flesh that we're trying to make a savior. He just won't let it happen. So he'll just withhold peace until we return to the truth of the gospel, who Jesus is, believe in him, and then we have peace. Then we have peace, then we're back home. God loves us. God loves us. When you lack peace, don't turn to God and say, what are you doing? Where did you go and why can't I go with you? Just go, God, I know I keep wandering. I know I keep wandering. Please remind me, remind me again why I should be with you. right. Jesus died for me in my place for my sins so that all the wrath of God would be poured out on him, absorbed by him, and all of his perfect righteousness would be credited to me as a gift so that I could be reconciled to a holy God who loves me eternally and brings me to himself. That's why I can believe That's why I can have peace. That's where I find my security. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. This isn't the first time Jesus had answered a question in this way. John chapter six, if you you want, you can go back there. I'll tell you what it says, but it may be good for you to jump back. John chapter 6, starting in verse 27, Jesus is going to answer a question here in another unexpected way. People are grilling him. He's got answers, not the ones they were looking for. Jesus says, do not work for the food that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Just this, you know, they couldn't help themselves. We just, just tell us what to do so that we can make sure God has to love us. Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in the one whom he sent. This is the, this is the most important, the most primary thing that you can do the thing that God is most pleased with that you would devote your life to, the work that you would do, believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Jesus says this is the thing that pleases God the Father the most. When a person sets themselves to believe in Christ, that's the work he loves. In fact, I I think we should all make it our goal, our life goal, that we could say our life's work was to believe in Christ. Our life's work, not to build a certain business or to raise a certain kind of kid or to find and keep a certain kind of spouse, but that your life's work would be belief in Christ. Jesus says that's the work that God says we must be doing. What if you don't comply with all the expectations and I freak out and I betray you, Jesus? In my seeking to believe, 
What, what if I'm just, what if I can't handle it sometimes? Don't be troubled. Believe in me. Pick it up in, what do we have here? Verse two. Verse two of chapter 14. Jesus here very mercifully is gonna go on. He's gonna explain. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Then he says this. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, that where I am you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. You won't tell us, right? We keep asking you, you won't tell us. Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Jesus has gone ahead of us to secure a place with him for those who believe in him. He is the path to where he is. He is the truth that defines the path. He is the prize at the end of the path. Verse 12. Here he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Believing in Jesus will result in a life like his. Result in a life like his, more and more so. He even alludes to the fact that the Holy Spirit will come when he leaves and the Spirit will empower us to do greater works than he did in his earthly ministry, such as evangelizing the entire world so that all people, people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue, every language will hear the truth that Jesus has died in the place of sinners so that by grace through faith they could be saved and reconciled to God. Not a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness that leads to life. That is a great work that Christ did not do, but that we, empowered by his spirit, will do as his church. Now, Jesus makes an important distinction here in verses 13 and 14 that I really hope are ringing in your hearts as you leave this place. Whatever you ask in my name, ask me anything in my name. In the ancient world, a person's name represented more than just a word to know him by, a word to shout to get his attention. It represented his character, his personality, his whole and true identity. That's what your name represented. He says, ask anything in my name. Ask me anything in my name and I will do it. So Jesus is instilling here in troubled disciples who are struggling to believe. He says, believe in me. Believe in me. Return to the knowledge of who I am and that I am who I am for you. Return to that belief. And now listen. If you know me, 
and you ask me for things that you know I want, I will do all of it. I'll do everything you ask. If you're asking in my name, according to who I am, according to who I've revealed myself to be, confidence in these fledgling disciples when they believe, when their trust, their hope, their faith is resting solely in the whole and true identity of Jesus as he's revealed himself, then their hearts will be comforted and they will be filled with the Spirit to do mighty works that glorify his name. Brothers, sisters, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in the whole and true identity of Christ and know that he is for you. What is there to trouble you in the light of the knowledge of the gospel? What is there to tear you down? What is there to threaten you? What can stand against you if God is for you in this way? I know where our minds go. Where our minds go is nothing. There's nothing. There's nothing that could threaten me, that could impose some kind or dictate some kind of threat or insecurity on me. There's nothing when I'm standing in the light of his glorious grace. There is nothing. That's where our minds go because it's the logical progression, right? If almighty creator God of the universe has set himself in his heart to be for me and love me, to even send his own son to die for my sins and give to me as a gift his righteousness so that my fate is sealed in him. The logical progression where your mind goes is, well, there's nothing to be afraid of. I'm in the king's court and he loves me. I'm one of his chosen few that he loves and has set himself to be devoted to. So the logical, but... Listen, let's not do what the Bible's not telling us to do. This isn't about some logical progression of train of thought. It's the heart. I know. It's not just two plus two equals four. It's belief in Christ and trust in his whole true identity as he's revealed himself to be means I don't have to be worried. That's so much harder. That's so much harder. There's so much more complicated and nuanced. And uh, it's like every moment of my life. I know that's so much harder. But that's the calling. That's the kingdom of God. Hearts believing. That's the whole thing. It's the whole thing. So please, what, what I'm urging you to do this morning is to not do something that I know. I'm not even going to ask you. I know you've done and I've done a thousand times before. Leave this place with just some facts lined up. Just some facts. This scripture plus that scripture means this point of theology. I know we've all done it. But when our hearts are troubled, when our faith is wavering, when the wind is blowing and the waves are crashing against this house, what will it be standing on? Sand or rock? Belief in, trust in, adherence to myself, my perspective, my ability, my power, my wisdom, or Christ, the rock of my salvation? What am I believing in? We want to leave here this morning Believing in Jesus. Please don't, don't, don't be like, oh, this is one of those seeker sensitive churches where it's just like real surface level and we're all just treading water all the time. No, please trust me. Every time you've ever failed in faith has been because you didn't believe the gospel. Every time you've ever sinned, it's been because you forgot how majestic and satisfying Jesus is. You thought something else might be a good replacement. It's always, always about returning to our belief in the whole and true identity of Jesus Christ. So that's our goal this morning.
Believe in him. And, and then honestly, you know what your goal is when you wake up in the morning tomorrow? <laughs> and when you go to work? And when your boss is just the worst? And when your coworker won't stop smacking their lunch in their cubicle? And you're just so annoyed? And it's like, how does smacking lunch equate to a desire to murder? I didn't know, I'm a worse person than I thought. In those kinds of moments, when the kids are ugh, and the spouse is like, in all these moments that you think are just stupid and mundane and really just like, oh, I just need to get over myself. No, believe in Jesus in that moment. When the threat comes, the assault comes, the doubts come, the fears come, it's not just like, oh, I just gotta like, la, 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 just gonna focus on my family, or I'm just gonna focus on my work, I'm just gonna inundate myself with, you know, information or something. No, it's believe in Jesus. Every day, it's always the answer. Constantly, perpetually reminding yourself of who Jesus is. It's not too elementary for you, seasoned Christian. It is how you will not be troubled. It is how you will walk by the Spirit with power to do the works of God that will glorify Christ. So realizing this morning <laughs> that in a way that could potentially discourage you, but I, I hope won't, realizing this morning that the very thing we most desperately need to do is the thing that, you know, was supposed to be the most elementary thing. The thing that was like the new Christian was doing better than the guy who's been a Christian for like 70 years. Believe in Jesus. Knowing that that's the thing. That, that that's the course, that's the way, that's the truth, that's the life. We have to, together, kind of make a, a bit of a pact, an agreement together as a family that we're not gonna be about other stuff because other stuff doesn't work. Other stuff can be very busy. It can feel very important. It can be very time consuming. It can even make you look awesome. But it's not the thing. It's belief in Jesus. Knowing that this is the thing, let's make an agreement together. We are going to believe in Jesus and we're going to encourage one another to believe in Jesus all the time. That's always gonna be the answer. Not in some annoying, trite kind of way, like someone's pouring their soul out at community group, you know, and you're just like, eh, believe in Jesus. But like, hey, remember who Jesus is. Remember who he is. He loves you. And knowing that this will always, always, moment by moment, take a work of the Holy Spirit, let's humble ourselves and ask him to do what only he can do. Let's do it now. Let's pray. God, we do thank you that you have not called upon us to do works that depend on our strength. Thank you that salvation does not depend on our faithfulness to you. Thank you that you have been faithful to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning that you are who you are. And we say, even though we, we confess, Lord, that we struggle to believe in you, to trust you, to obey you, to love you, to be devoted to you. Lord, we, we also confess that we do believe in you. We do love you. We do trust you. 
But we know that if it came right down to it from, from many of us, maybe most of us, probably all of us, well, we realize that today may not be the day when we would lay our lives down for you. Maybe in this moment, you know, whatever that is, that thing that you've called us to in the future, that, that expression of our faith, empowered by your spirit, that you would have us do at some point in the future. We're not ready for that, but we know, Lord, that today we are ready to believe to hear your call, your command, to believe in you, to not be troubled in our hearts, to believe in you. We know that today you would say that and you do say that to us. So please help us by your spirit. Help us to do this work of God, believing in the one whom he sent. In each one of our hearts right now, Spirit, I ask you if you will personally reveal to each one of us, bring us to that place where we, in our hearts, we know that we are kind of all together, but each one of us alone with you. Please, Spirit, bring each one of us to that place right now and declare the gospel to our hearts. Spirit, whatever those thoughts are, those beliefs, whatever that unbelief is, whatever those sinful attitudes, those sinful plans that we may have in our hearts, whatever those things are that disagree with belief in Jesus, would you please right now just so mercifully, alarmingly, disruptively expose those things to us. Like if we're sitting here right now just ignorant of our own unbelief in some ways and just saying, I, I will lay my life down for you, that you would point out to us those areas of our hearts where you would say, will you? What about this? Finally, Lord, I ask you, if you would please, this morning, bring us to obedience to this command of Christ in light of what you're revealing in us, the disbelief, the areas of sin, the doubt, the fear, the anxiety that you're revealing in us, things that don't agree with belief in Christ, Lord, now I ask you, would you command our hearts this morning by your spirit, would you command each of our hearts and say to us, let not your hearts be troubled Believe in God, believe also in me. Would you please say that by your spirit to each of our hearts and bring us by your spirit to obey that command, to believe wholeheartedly in Christ, the whole and true identity of who he is and who he is for us. Savior, Lord, King, Great High Priest, Intercessor, Redeemer, Lover of our souls.
to belief, please. And when we're tempted to depart, would you guard our hearts? Strengthen us with faith, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.